Podcast. This is Ian Tullock here as always. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli, and we're also joined by another writer at Maple Leaf Hot Stove. We have Kevin Papetti joining us today. He's one of my favorites. How you doing, Kevin? Doing well. I'm excited to uh, get in some arguments, hopefully. we got to find something we disagree on for once. Yeah, you're joining the power line here. Yeah, this is the David Camp offensive juggernaut line here. We're, we're about to bring the heat. So in the pre-game discussion here, we were discussing team speed. When it came to the Maple Leafs, I know that's an aspect in their game that they used to have years back attacking up the ice north south off the rush using their skill advantage by trying to get up the ice as fast as they possibly could. The last year or two that hasn't been the case. I'm curious what your guys thoughts are when it comes to the Leafs team speed. Because I know it's an element that Sheldon Keefe has talked about in the past about them trying to transition the puck up the ice faster to try to generate odd man rushes. What are your thoughts overall when it comes to team speed, especially when it comes to evaluating this team? I think they're they got a lot of slow players. Now one or two guys might switch that up, but like Richie is one of the slowest guys in the league. Uh, Spezza at his age is a bit slower. I I think Muzzin's weakness would be speed. I think Sandine, as good as he's been, his weakness would be speed. You know, Bunting's fine, I guess, but like yeah, Bunting's not fast. No, he's average, I'd say, but they're. They're short on... They don't have Kapanen anymore. Obviously, with Mikhaev out, uh, he's a good skater. I, I I don't know if they're slower if they're average, but they're not as fast as they used to be, and I think that's that's pretty evident, at least against Los Angeles. Yeah, they look slow, right? Like, they like LA looked legitimately and notably faster than them. They scored a couple goals where they just burned them. I think their defense is low-key actually quite slow, to be honest. Like, obviously, Muzzin got roasted... Uh, pretty good and like you have guys along the lines of Dermot and Lilligren who they're not slow but they're not fast I actually think Sandine might legitimately be slow well that's the thing with Sandine is that his foot speed isn't what's made him an effective player it's his passing it's his vision it's his brain but like you say his north south speed it's a weakness in his game for being realistic yeah and when you kind of think about it and I know that these aren't bottom line things but like it's like they're not big they're not physical and they're not that fast (laughs) which doesn't mean they're a bad team like like, there's so many good things about them but it's kind of crazy when you think about them not having really any of those things yeah so I think when they are trying to dictate play and trying to force their advantage on an opposition how are they doing it I think they need to say okay our puck skills are what make us better than other teams our top end forwards Nylander Marner Tavares Matthews Tavares is another slow one. We didn't bring him up. Foot speed is a problem for Tavares as well. Always has been. Austin Matthews has gotten faster as a skater, but if we're being honest, it's not his biggest strength. He's not. He doesn't. The reason he dominates offensively isn't because of his speed. It's because of his insane hands and his ability to get a shot off from any angle he wants and to deliver it off the top corner and in. So, if you're the Leafs and you're trying to build up play, let's say you get the puck in the defensive zone off of a dump in. In years past, Mike Babcock was trying to stretch pass up the ice to try to get his speedy forwards behind the opposition's defense to create two-on-ones. 
create those foot races, like flip, like off the glass foot race. It drove a lot of us crazy because we thought they were just conceding possession half the time. They were lobbing up these pucks instead of passing it onto the stick of a William Nylander, onto the stick of a Mitch Marner, an Austin Matthews, a John Tavares. That was the Penguins hockey too back in the day. I feel like that's worth noting. Like the Penguins like made that pretty pot. Like they won a cup. They won a cup off that that year where, especially when Latang was hurt, and they're like our defense basically can't play defense like just put it off the wall and call it a day right and they just won foot races with like the guys you mentioned phil kessel carl Haglin, right like brian russ connor sheary and then it became a thing so when the, when the leafs did it under babcock i just don't think they mixed it up well like it drove me nuts i don't think they did a good job of having other options they, that, that, that was just their default play and it looked like shit against really structured teams like the bruins I compared it to football of just throwing a Hail Mary on every single down. That's not going to throw off a defense. You need to throw some underneath routes. You need to run the ball yeah. a few times. You need intermediate routes. You need to use all areas of the ice to exploit a defense and not just use all those areas, but go to your short option just as often as you go to your long option. That way they can't overplay you to either side. I think what you guys might be mentioning right now is that they're going to the short option a bit too often. They're they're dipping dunking their way up the ice and it can it can be an effective way to play. I know Tom Brady's made a career out of dipping dunking his way to championships, but can you sustainably gain the zone in the playoffs by giving the puck underneath to William Nylander and asking him to break a neutral zone trap every single time? Can you do that with Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews? I think you can do it a few times, but like you guys say, I don't think you can do it every time. And as much as I like the idea of building up slowly with possessions, a five-man unit, the Leafs controlled zone exit percentage, their controlled zone entry percentage, I want that to be high. I want them activating the, the defense as the fourth forward into the play to try to create four on threes when they gain the zone. But they're not going to be doing it with their speed by attacking quickly. It's more of a slow build-up kind of Pep Guardiola soccer kind of thing. I, I was watching Man United highlights before I hopped on here, and I watched them get crushed by Man City. And one of the things that Man City does so well, and I know Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe are huge fans of Pep Guardiola, it's that slow build-up, maintain possession, and let your skill dictate play, that when the defense makes a mistake, when you catch someone out of the position, that's where you make a play. But you don't force it if it's not there. What's your opinion when it comes to that? It's such a different field of play, though, in terms of spacing. Like, to some degree, you have to let the dogs out a little bit, right? Like, you have to let them, like, go eat on some odd man rushes. And honestly, even when I look at playoff hockey, teams get teams do get odd man rushes, but they're very few and far between. And when you, like, you might only get, like, one, two on, like, one, three on two a game. Three on twos, I think, are a bit more prevalent. I think it's the two on ones that are rare. Even if you look back at that Hab series, like, I can think of off the top of my head three Alex Kerfoot two-on-ones that resulted in zero shots. I know Josh Anderson got a lot of rush chances for Montreal. Like, they do happen. Like, I don't think the playoffs is to the point where, like, they don't happen at all, but I think that the pace at which they happen is a lot faster. Like, it's not a guy getting a two-on-one and taking zero strides from the blue line in, figuring out what he's going to do. Like, it's a play that happens at a fast speed with guys that are legitimately on you. And, like, you only get one or two, and you have to capitalize. Like, that could be the game. Like, you look back and you say, well, that was a two-on-one, and but you didn't bury. <laughs> like, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the Leafs in rush chances? I don't know if their forwards are as strong as they used to be. Um, I guess on the bright side, you look at the defense. Like, they don't have Zaitsev back there anymore and, and Polak, so they can afford to maybe make a few more, you know, passes instead of just 
but banking it off the boards and trying to set up the breakaway. But yeah, Liljegren on the third pair is a bit of an upgrade over Polak when it comes to puck movement. They robbed Peter to pay Paul, right? Like they they got rid of some of the forward depth in yeah. order to have a defense that's legitimately credible. There's no third line. There's a Brody now. That was the big decision that was made two off yeah. seasons ago. I think because, like certain players are, especially the faster players, are, are more likely to get those rest chances. I mean, Anderson's pretty fast on Montreal. Um, Mikhaev is kind of famous for getting them and never capitalizing. Kapanen got time. Like I remember that goal he scored against Boston on the breakaway. They don't really have as many breakaway threats right now. Uh, especially with Mikhaev out now. He was the one guy I wanted to mention. Like he actually does make them a fat, like a notably faster team. Faster team. Yeah. But they're not real two on ones, and that a two on one <laughs> has a very strong probability of going in. <laughs> we'll still feel faster. We won't score anymore, but we'll feel faster. So he he can up the play. I think he's the kind of guy. I think Keith has really been trying to sort out like who to start games with and who to put out to swing momentum at times or Wayne Simmons in game two of the playoffs I loved Wayne Simmons starting the games I wish he does it more often to be honest I actually think Wayne Simmons has been really good this year as much as we've crapped on the signing I think he's been a legitimately good fourth liner have you seen his expected goals numbers individually no what are they they are phenomenal they're incredible individually he's getting to the crease and he's getting chances the pucks haven't gone in yet but they will if he keeps generating these chances yeah he's been good nick ritchie has been a just pile of garbage like he's actually to the point where they have to sit him like it's just on principle alone like you can't be this bad for this long and keep playing and i was a fan of the nick ritchie signing literally like 10 minutes ago someone asked me do you sit nick ritchie and if there's no contract for the next year and his name isn't Nick Ritchie, he's probably already been sat down. But if you can't trade him, you need to get some value out of this guy, right? You expected him to play 164 games for you. You're 13 games into his contract, and we're already talking about sitting him. I don't care if he plays 164, though. Like, I would just say sit him and try to get it, like, light a fire under his ass. Like, get him going. Like, like what is he doing out there? He's literally, like, he is the definition of taking shifts right now. I'm just thinking of the way that certain coaches treat certain players and it seems like Keith has really decided that positive reinforcement is the way to go with him and some players we see coaches light a fire under their ass we've seen it with Nylander seen it with Engvall you yeah. see it with certain guys <laughs> how many games would Engvall have played if he was playing at Nick Ritchie's caliber right now <laughs> if they swapped jerseys how many games would the other have yeah that's a really good question if they chopped jerseys and necks like there's no <laughs> chance Richie would be playing it's like just sit him. Like, honestly, I like Richie. I think he's going to be fine. But just sit him. Like, just look at him and say, like, I can't look at you playing hockey like this anymore. Like, you have to go out and do something. Give him the Jimmy VC. You look vanilla right now. All right? Something's not going. Did you see today? He was, t- they, it was, there was a little, like, Twitter stuff coming out that he was staying on late and working off of shooting off different legs. And I'm sitting there going, yes, that is exactly the problem that I think of when I think of how Nick Ritchie's playing. Like, if only he could shoot off different legs better. Well, I don't think he's going to become a better skater overnight. And I don't think he's going to develop better puck skills overnight. I don't think he's all of a sudden going to become a good passer. I don't think he's at the point, though, where he can just torch those things and, and just say, I'm not going to do them. Like, he, he honestly, he looks a little bit out of shape. Did you expect him to be faster than this? A little bit. I think I expect him to move around a little bit better, and I expect when the games tighten up that he's going to be a little bit more effective. Much like I thought Jake Muzzin was really effective against Boston, 
a bit of a slower game. That's traditionally been the pace that he plays really, really good hockey at. I was disappointed with Richie because not only was it a slower game, but it was his former team that decided not to qualify him. It's like, if you couldn't come out in that game and have a little something extra to you, like, what game is it then? Like, we're just magically waiting? This offseason, Kyle Dubas gave two-year contracts to Wayne Simmons, also a no-trade clause, and Nick Ritchie. He also did it for David Camp and Michael Bunting. But I want to specifically talk about Ritchie and Simmons because I think they're similar players in that their entire purpose is to crash the crease and get those garbage goals, whether it's off deflections, rebounds, passes in tight. You want them to occupy that space on the ice and win those battles. We all know about Keith in the meeting in the All or Nothing series talking about how they didn't get enough rebound goals. And that was a, an area of their game that they said – Look, these are the types of goals that you need to score in the playoffs because, like you said, Anthony, it becomes more difficult to get those rush opportunities. The space goes away. It becomes a, a tighter game, and the rule book goes out the window more or less in front of the net. It's a five-on-five -five game. It's a five-on-five -five grind. I real, I'm very curious to see the cross-checking standard in the playoffs because we've seen it in the regular season, but we've also seen— Do you want the spoiler alert now, or do you want to wait until April? You, you think you think that they're just going to get rid of it and all of a sudden Shea Weber is going to come out of retirement and start pounding guys in the back? No, nah, because Montreal would need to make the playoffs for that to happen. But my point was, when it comes to Richie and Simmons, these are clearly two player types that Leafs identified as a need for this team. They said, we have the skill, we have the defensemen that we've been waiting for for years. We don't have the role players who can go to the net and get those rebounds. So Nick Richie is going to be that guy and Wayne Simmons is going to be that guy. Kevin, I want your thoughts on acquiring those types of players. I think the rebound thing is, is the reason they went and got Richie. And I, I think I think we all had higher expectations. I don't know if we all liked the signing. I mean, maybe it was a bit of a mixed bag online. But, like, for two and a half, I think Richie, for me, has is, is been – he's in that Jimmy Vesey boat right now. Like, I'm actually at the point where I'm – I'd be trading him at the deadline, like, for freeing up cap space. Like, as a negative asset? Yeah, as a negative asset. I'm at that point. I just don't see where the fit is. Like, he, he he's not going to be with Matthews come playoff time. Absolutely not. He's too slow to be with Tavares. Like, I think that's just a lack of speed on that line. Imagine being too slow to play with Tavares. <laughs> like, you're too slow to play with Tavares. <laughs> Tavares is slow, but I find, like, the both of them, it's just, like, that line's too slow. Like, they can't cover. Also, I think Tavares looks great. Of all the conversations that came out um, from the early struggles, people, it, I feel like every year this conversation comes up now where it's like, this is the year, Tavares is going to shit. I think he looks great. I think that goal that he scored by the net and the battles that he won en route to getting that space in front of the net and then eventually scoring, that's the exact type of playoff goal we're talking about. It, it's The Leafs need more of that, and Tavares does that. If you pull up his shot chart or his goal chart throughout his career, they're all from that area on the ice. They're from the slot. So He is a professional goal scorer. He just like knows when to bear down and get it done. Scored 47 of them his first year as a Leaf. Is that good? I think he's about point per game now as a Leaf, which is exactly what you wanted when you signed him. But with Richie, I just think I'm, I just don't know where he's going to land. I don't like him on the third line. The fourth line, the problem with the fourth line is, I don't know if he's a great fit with Simmons or a great fit with Spezza. I'd rather have Spezza on the wing. I, I think Simmons has outplayed Richie, so if it's one lineup spot, I'm going Simmons. Especially the cap savings from trading Richie would be significant, um, compared to Simmons at least. At least Simmons, you know what you're getting. Like, like tomorrow they're playing Philly, or by the time people are listening to it, tonight they're playing Philly. 
And I I would be floored if Simmons doesn't come out with a little bit extra something something for his old team. You saw it with Trevor Moore, right? Yeah, he came out fired up. You, how many times? If you are a Leaf fan and you have not seen an old player come back with a little extra something something, you're nuts. Like, welcome to the team. Like, you just started. It's a running joke that you can already expect that player to score a goal, if not the game would go. If Par Lindholm can score a goal in the Toronto Maple Leafs, anyone can score a goal in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Based on your Trevor Moore comments, you would legitimately have to start being a Leaf fan today in order to say that you haven't seen an old player come back and haunt them. Like That's basically where we're at. So I don't know. I, just, I was super disappointed with what Richie did, which was essentially nothing against Boston. I want to see him punch someone in the face at this point because if he's not scoring Like, honestly, goals, go run the goalie or something. Go get suspended, like, like anything at this point. Watch him forecheck. He might be the worst forechecker I've ever seen at his size. He doesn't use his strength or his mass in any way to win the puck battle. He goes for the puck. He tries to stick swipe at it. I'm thinking, dude, you're 240 pounds. Plow the dude through the glass. Yeah, there's no purpose. It's frustrating, man. It reminds me of, almost reminds me of Frederick Gauthier, where it's this massive, huge frame that doesn't want to throw a big hit. And I, I frankly, I don't get it. But is what it is at this point. I want to steer the conversation in a different direction here. We were talking about players that the Leafs had given two-year contracts to. One of those players is David Camp. And he's been on the third line the entire season. And I would say predictably... Hasn't generated any offense this year. I think he has one point in 13 games. Uh, His on-ice shooting percentage is about half of what it was last year. So if we doubled that to two whole points, maybe even gave him three, I'd still say that's very poor production for a third-line center. Dubas and Keefe have talked ad nauseum about how they think that there is another level that Camp's offensive game can get to. And I find that concerning because I find that to just be a misevaluation of his talents and Kevin, I want to start with you here. We know that the camp line can produce more offensively, but what's the ceiling for that line offensively? I think he's a he's a fourth line center um, now. Whether like in in a traditional sense, like I'm fine with him getting more ice time in the fourth line center if it's the right fit. Like if he, if he's going to be in the matchup role. Uh, at this point, I don't see the Leafs going the Tampa Bay route, which was. You know, they had Braden Point, they had Sorelli with Stamkos, and they had Yanni Gore. They had three lines clicking. And the Leafs had that opportunity when they had Kadri, but I think now, like, back when Keith coached the Marlies, it was that he had a third line with Goche and Engvall that didn't score, and then he had that fourth line that scored like crazy. I think that that could work. They have Spezza for the fourth line. If they get that line clicking, it could work. But you're really, you know what you're getting with David Camp, and that's a player who is going to compete hard. You can you can trust him out there in the penalty kill or in the last minute of a game up a goal. But the offense isn't there. Do I think he has another level? Sure, because he's at the very bottom level right now. Like one more level might be a very bad offensive player. Um, but I, I do think you need a little bit from that line. I think Kasha will help provide it. Um, but ultimately come playoff time i want camp's line to be the fourth worst scoring line i don't care if it's a third and nice time maybe it makes sense but they need to be by far your worst offensive line i think that's i want three lines clicking come playoff time i just don't see it happening with him like i, I just can't see playoff time he's the guy that's magically point per game anthony hop on the mic here and defend your boy okay first of all i love camp and at the same time, what you're saying is what 
what you guys are both saying is correct in the sense that like they shouldn't be asking this guy to be offensive and i have no idea what they're looking at that says what history of production are we talking about here his highest productive season in the czech league was 31 points in 52 games he was an undrafted player into the league he has yet to have a 20 point season in the league he's had a few seasons where he's paced a little bit above that really just one but we're not talking pacing for 40, 50 points. We're pay- talking pacing for 20 points. That's a fourth line center. And that's fine. Like they pay to me one and a half million for a fourth line center is fine. If he's going to lock it down, be good for D zone draw. I said this a million times to me. I have zero problem with that money. Love him on the PK. Love him on the th- PK. I want to throw him a bone here because he is good at some things. He is. I trust him yeah. on the D zone. I trust him on left side draws. Trust him on the PK. Heck, I trust him on right side draws. I actually just think they're setting him up for failure. And it's going to be one of those guys where we look at and go, like, you can't just have a third line that can't produce nothing in the playoffs. Like, I'm, it's just not the way it works. I'm sorry. A, and we saw, you know, the big guys all got hot and the Leafs went on a win streak and everyone kind of calmed down, which was great. Like, you wanted people to calm down. The last time we recorded, I believe I put their my faith in them in the regular season at 80%, I want to say. Definitely not lower than 70, but I'm pretty sure I said 80. And all that to say is, like, I have no concerns about them as a regular season team. But is Marner ripping four-point games in, in nearly 24 minutes in the playoffs like he did against Boston on Saturday? Not that we've seen. Well, in the version of this team that wins a Stanley Cup, I think he has a night or two like that. Maybe. if we're, I would be floored if he had two nights like that in the playoffs. If he had eight points across two playoff games, I would I'm be I'm thinking floored. of when Tyler Johnson got hot. I'm thinking when Braden Point got hot. You know, sometimes it happens for these guys. Four points is a lot in the playoffs, and to do that twice... Let's call it three points. Let's call it a three-assist game for Marner. Those have been known to happen. It's a big ask. And, and basically, they, you know, they look like what... They, they live or die by four guys. That's the way it's constructed. That's this, this entire roster is constructed that way. Yeah, and that's what I have the biggest problem with. Well, it's, it, that's not changing anytime soon. Right, but Kevin Tyler is like, well, they could have went to three lines. They could still do it. They have four guys. They could spread them across three lines if they really wanted to. They're actively refusing, and they're like, actually, we're going to see if David Camp can produce offense for the first time in his life. This is why I was so mad at you when they signed him. Because to me, it indicated that they thought he was could play and was going to play 15 minutes a night. But you were mad at the implication that like he was a shit hockey player and it was a bad deal. Like He's not... And it's not a bad well, deal. Offense is a part of hockey. But if your argument is that it's Randy J. McClement, I take that argument and I think that's fair. So my argument is that the things that David Camp provides have value, but they get overvalued by coaching staffs, not just this one, but every coaching staff in the NHL, to the point that they can justify putting a net negative player on the ice over a player who, even though he has some negatives defensively, is a net positive because of their offense. And the player I'm bringing up here is Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza is consistently getting about four or five minutes less a night than David Kampf, and I think he's a way more effective hockey player. So that's my biggest concern here is that David Kampf is centering the Leafs' third line when if you're, it's going to be anyone, I think it should be Spezza. But can you take the argument that at least Spezza's old and they might just be sitting there saying we want to just get him through 82? Because I can yeah, for that. I, I, no, and I, I, can, I can take that, but I also don't get why Muzzin's playing all 82 games you know, there, there, there are certain yeah. things with this Leafs team that with veterans, I don't get it. That's like with every team, though. I don't think that's a Leafs-specific thing. I, I think, think It's with, a hockey criticism. That's not a Leafs criticism. We've talked about it before. They don't understand load management as a league. No, they don't. As a sport, yeah. But with Camp, I, I like him, too. Like, he's at he's over 50% expected goal differential. He gets 
a crazy amount of defensive zone starts. 1.5, I think, has been fine. But he does need to be your, your like, he's your fourth-line center. Now, if you want to pencil him as a third-line center, fine. Like, I'm sure that the difference between minutes between the third and fourth line come playoff time might be minimal. Like, it might be at the situation where if you're up, camp is getting more minutes. Obviously, if, if you're losing by two goals heading into the third, I don't want to see camp out there much. To me, the bigger issue is when the game's tied, Camp is getting more minutes because he's playing against tougher competition and coaches have a tendency to match up worse players against the other team's better players and you end up playing the worst players way more minutes than you actually yeah. should. I think that's my biggest fear. I can be. I sure. think that's a fair way to put it, right? Where you're playing teams and essentially they're throwing out a third line that has an actual chance to score a goal. Yep, that's and David Camp does not. And in the aggregate, you're gonna lose if you play David Camp more than the other team's third line center. Yeah. If you get a another forward, like another top like a legitimate top six forward, and you bump Kerfoot down to the fourth line, or you bump Bunting down to the fourth line, they're playing with Spezza and they're like a third line scoring wise, I think it could work with Camp, you know, get just taking some tough matchups and defensive zone starts, but they need they're forward short, I think for sure, you know. They're banking they're banking on Spezza continuing to be sick, which I Ian and I were starting to talk about this a little bit last night. I am concerned about an Olympic break for an old guy. Like he's gonna just take two like that's actually not good for like an mm. older player to just It's a factor I haven't thought too much about this year and it's definitely one that we need to take into account. Like it's harder for those guys usually to just like take that time off and then get back into it. Like so you think it's a plus? You think the guys who go to the Olympics and play are better because they're staying in season yeah. shape as opposed to the guys who have to stop? What about older guys who are exhausted and need a rest? Remember Patrick Marlowe when he finally got a week off yeah. and he looked rejuvenated his first game back? Yeah. that like I'm looking at Florida, and they put like Sam Reinhardt on their third line. And like Sam Reinhardt's sick. He's one of the best goal scorers in the league. I love it when teams do that. I love it when a team puts a player on a third line who has no business on a third line. That That's a Stanley Cup contending third line. I'm not putting Nylander and Marner with Camp, though. No, but, <laughs> oh, you're looking, but you're looking at a third line and you're saying, okay, they're going to throw out a guy like Reinhardt on line three, yeah. and it's a tie game against Florida on a playoff series, and the Leafs are throwing out camp and mikhaev who could get like six two on ones that shift and not get a shot on net yeah which line has a better chance of scoring goals in hockey's a goal scoring contest this is where my camp argument comes into play and, and he's not gonna he's not gonna throw out wayne simmons and, and jason spezza against a sam reinhardt third line because it, honestly if you're trading chances i actually would feel a lot better if i was florida on that snare i'd be like okay you want to trade chances against this guy with See, that Spezza's guy like, go incredible for incredible at producing offense maybe i need to Really Spets has been amazing. Point. I'm not trying to put him down. I just I think they're asking a lot. They're basically saying like carry a line yourself, and he's done it regardless of who he's played with. He has. I just think it's a big ask for an old guy to do it through the grind of a playoffs. Like, what team is relying on a guy that old <laughs> for that? Like to basically be like be our one guy that can score in our entire bottom six. Oh, they need they need someone with them. Like I think that right? would be my priority. Is if if you're gonna have camp. That's got to be a worst offensive line. You need to have the Spezza line clicking, and you need to add to that line because I don't think Spezza Simmons Richie is, is strong enough offensively. If if you're gonna have Camp on another line, I think you got to make some sort of addition. Maybe it's maybe it's adding at the top, moving Kerfoot down or moving a Bunting down. Um, but to me, they're a forward short. I think the loss of Hyman. 
Like, if, they, if this team had Hyman, you knock everyone down one. Yeah, it'd be crazy. You look a lot better. I think they got to make some sort of splash. But if they had Hyman, they wouldn't have one of their defensemen or they wouldn't have Petr Mrazek. Yeah. So a question on that. Would you rather have paid Hyman what he got or Riley what he got? Hyman. And Hyman is the answer for me. Because I think Sandine can replace the power play value that Riley can. I think Riley's 5-on-5 value is grossly overstated, and I've been saying that for years. And I I still really value what Riley does as a transition expert when it comes to just beating his man up the ice clean, getting the odd man rushes, threading passes through the slot. This is one of the things that, if you look at Corey Schneider's manually tracked data, the Leafs were the best team in the league at completing passes through the middle of the slot. And that's something where Riley is better than almost any defenseman in the NHL at completing those passes. So I fully understand that those have value, but by jumping up into the play so often, you give up chances behind you, and there are two-on-ones that come back against you. Shots, clean entries, scoring chances, sustained zone time, and they show up in all the metrics you can look at throughout Riley's career, where even though he's generating so much offense, he's also giving up quite a lot. Whereas when Hyman's on the ice, that isn't the case. Hyman's in the offensive zone and not in the defensive zone. I think the difference is you expect Hyman's body to break down at some point. With Riley, frankly, why wouldn't it? His his north-south skating is his biggest strength. Isn't that something that deteriorates over time? But if his skating, if his skating loses even an ounce if he's not beating his man up the ice he's lost his entire value as a player yeah right that so the point definitely taken on Hyman's body breaking down that's a real concern and he's generally had issues staying healthy on the whole but if if Riley loses a step I mean even look at Brody like Brody looks like he's losing a step already and he's had some real ugly moments so far he's looked better lately so I'll give him that but he's looked concerning on the whole, right? Muzzin, obviously, although Muzzin's never been a skater, but, you know, you take any guy and you you lose a step off their game. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Hyman is an elite two-way winger that you can put out in any situation and feel good about. Riley is an elite offensive defenseman that you don't use against the other team's best players. You can if he's playing alongside someone who can defend like Brody or if he's playing with the team's best players I think that that masks it a little bit it masks a little bit but you're definitely not saying like Mo go out there and shut this guy down yeah that's more the Jake Muzzin pair exactly yeah and to me when I think about D-man that's what I would pay for on defense I would pay for guys that I can trust and I would look for offensive guys on the cheap that's how I would build it I've been arguing for guys like Jacob Slavin to get into the Norris conversation forever because I agree with you. I think five on five tough minutes outplaying the other team's best players and staying in the offensive zone, not the defensive zone. That's what I value. And I compared Riley to the Krug contract because to me that was where he was around, which was probably too low to think that he would get in that six and a half range given what happened in the offseason. But I, I wrote in the offseason, I would offer him Krug money. And if he said no, I'd probably just move on with my life. And then the Leafs gave him more, but what was generally termed by people as a cap-friendly deal. And they're like, we got you. You said you would sign him. I'm like, yes, to a million dollars less a year and for not the same amount of terms. So that's completely in line with my point. Riley's lack of a shot threat on the power play is still something that whenever I'm trying to dissect the Leafs' power play, when I'm going through Justin Bourne articles trying to break down how the Leafs maximize their talent – 
he wrote a great article recently about trying to find the right spot for Marner because you can't just look at Tampa or look at Colorado and try to replicate what they do because the Leafs' skill sets on the power play aren't the same. They don't have a Braden Point in the middle. They don't have a Stamco shot. They do have an Austin Matthews, and that's fantastic, but Marner's skill set isn't one where you can just tell him to stand still and rip one-timers. So you kind of have to get all the pieces moving around, and when all those pieces are moving around, it helps if there are shot threats like Riley moving into a shooting position, but frankly, his wrist shot I don't think is too scary. You can get pucks through, but I... I didn't want the Leafs to be the one on the hook for the next eight years of Riley's contract. And I completely understand why they made that decision. They're in a contending window right now. They signed a guy without a point shot to run their power play for eight years. But at the same time, are you going to lose that player and can you replace that value over the next couple of years before Austin Matthews' next contract runs out? That's why they signed the contract. I understand it. Kevin, what are your thoughts on this entire Morgan Riley contract and the way that it leads to looking at the Leafs' blue line over the next few years? Yeah, I don't think I love it. Uh, I think I'm with Anthony that I'd be more inclined to pay for the Jake Muzzin types, the kind of the guys that are a little bit underrated and, and could take on top competition. I think you have guys like Sandine, Lilligren, Toby Nemo on the way that can handle or could have success in more of an offensive role. Nemo looks fantastic, by the way. Just a quick side note. <laughs> we'll keep it. Yeah, I won't go too loud on Nemo here. But um, I, I think... There is some upside to it. Um, I think one with any long-term deal, if the cap goes up a lot quicker than expected, you could suddenly have a bit of a bargain on your hand. The other thing I think is think of as when the Jay signed Marcus Simeon, when he had that, like when the Jay signed Simeon, he was kind of an average player most years ahead of that, and then had the one monster year. And I think Riley's had that one monster year, like the seventy-point year. Now we all think it's a fluke. If he could get back to that level. And maybe he can. Get back to tripling his career average in shooting percentage? Fair. But I think also just offensively that year, he was healthy the whole year. Um, He was up. He's not. I don't think he's scoring 20 goals. But the assists were there. He was a legitimate top player in the league. Like he was probably Team Canada caliber that year or close to it. And he's been sick in the playoffs. I I do think that's somewhat noteworthy. Would I give a guy an eight year deal because he's been sick in a bunch of first round losses? No. But I do think it's noteworthy that he's one of the only guys when they make the playoffs this year that I will look at the lineup and say, he'll actually be sick. How many guys have consistently elevated their play for the Leafs over the last five years in playoff games? Morgan Riley comes to mind. Uh, not many other players come to mind. Who else? <laughs> like, like, actually, who else? If you go through that I was, list, I was trying head. to go through it in my head. Spezza, maybe? Jake Gardner in the first six games of a series? Yeah, I feel bad for Gardner because the, the game seven was bad, but he was having a six series before that happened. And just, yeah, that sucks for him. It's funny. You can go like Nylander the one year against Washington, Marner the one year against Boston. Yeah, one year this, one year that. Spezza, yeah, I mean, he's only been here for two. I mean, I don't really know if he did much against Columbus, but he had the fight and I enjoyed it. So it counts for something in this world. And he was obviously good against the Habs. They, they never should have taken him off the top six line in game six when uh, he scored to help send them to overtime. The sample size of Leafs who have enough playoff games that we know or not, they've actually elevated their level. But we don't have the sample. They haven't played enough games. I just think the <laughs> offensive defensemen are easy to, like, not to Riley's caliber, obviously, but a guy who's serviceable and above average. Like Brandon Montour got traded for a third-round pick last year. He has seven points in 13 games. He can shoot. He can run a power play. You wouldn't have Brandon Montour on and just say to yourself, 
damn, he's shit. Like, he's totally torpedoing anything we're trying to do. That five on five, I might make that argument. I don't know. You can find, <laughs> but you can find guys to be really good offensive defensemen and bury them lower in your lineup and just say, I mean, my favorite of all time was Marc-Andre Bergeron. That guy was just an absolute weapon. Couldn't take a shift at five on five. But the second a hand went up from a ref, one leg over the boards and he was hopping. When I was d- diving deep into ways coaches could shelter players at five on five during the flow of play, he was one of the guys I, I dove deep into because it was just fascinating. A, a literal hero, man. I loved him. He was the best when Edmonton <laughs> traded for him and they went on that cup run. He was a hero. Like, he just had a bomb. That, that was it. He just he had an NHL career because he's like, my slap shot is way better than basically everybody else's. One of my favorite players in video game history, five foot nine, could fly and had a great slap shot. That's all you need in the video games, please. Yeah, and I just I look at these guys and I say you can when I think about being creative and the kind of things that we thought that we would be getting with this management group, that's the kind of thing where I sit there and go, you couldn't creatively have figured out how to like save some money on an offensive defenseman, backfill it respectably and upgrade your roster elsewhere. How about the fact that they're paying for power play points, which is one of the most inefficient uses of cap space that you can do. Uh, Tyler Dello is selling the closer idea that he's written about a lot in the past, something I've also preached. Nikita Zaitsev, don't pay for power play points. Don't pay for a guy on the top power play and then take him off the top power play and expect that value to continue. Sandine looks like he's poised to take this PP1 spot, if not this year, next year. It's going to be soon. You can, you can see the offensive talent. I don't know if you saw Shayna Goldman's article recently, but he's second in the league in primary shot assists to Adam Fox. That's good company. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. When this regime started, they literally pumped and dumped Dion. They're just like, we're going to put him on the power play, up his point totals, trade him. And they did it. And remember, everyone's sitting there going, all right, these guys have figured it out. They understand some of these nuances in the league. And now they've basically gone full circle. And I'm not comparing Riley to Dion. So I'd, before somebody says that, I think it's harder when you're when you're in the contending window and you have an asset and you go, oh, I don't want to lose this. To me, it was already ruined the way that they handled him in the off season. It, they didn't even attempt to shop oh his value. Oh my god, the market for defense this summer was insane, and they yeah. didn't cash in on it. The, the second the off season hit the dog days and was essentially over. I was already like, they've they've screwed this one. It sounded like they didn't even test the waters for the most part, but I don't want to talk about things that I'm not 100% on. Once the season started, what could they have done? What, what could they have done other than this? I'm gonna, yeah, you staying. Yeah. I'm going to shift gears a bit here, but it's a similar topic. Morgan Riley is an offensive defenseman, like you mentioned. His biggest value is providing offense both on the power play and at 5-on-5. Five five. The Leafs have one goal from their defenseman this year. And it's a similar trend to last year. I don't know exactly how many goals they have, but I know that it was on the lower end in the NHL when it came to the production they were getting offensively from their defensemen. How much of a concern is that for you, considering offense is supposed to be one of the biggest strengths of this? They're not getting it from the back end. I'll start. It's just not a concern for me, really. Um, I think between Riley, Sandine, you know, Muzzin's got some offense. I think it'll come. Brody doesn't have much offense. Like He doesn't have much of a shot, but that's fine. I don't know. Like I, I, I just don't see it as a massive issue. I'm. I think the the biggest issue for me is is definitely the top six forward depth, not forward depth. Like I think they have fine thirteenth forwards. I think it's just 
at, almost replacing Hyman because clearly Richie isn't even close. Um, you know, Bunting, Bunting's good. He's just not Hyman. So I think they need a legitimate top six forward. That's really my focus. You know, the, the power play is going to be a focus after how bad it was last year. The scoring, the defense itself, like how does, you know, Hall's got off to a rough start. Brody Muzzin got off to rough starts. I think that's way ahead of my priority than their offense. I, I, it's, it's just not a huge concern for me right now. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think it's worth pointing out that because the forward scoring depth is so shallow, that it is notable. It would be nice if they got more from the offense, like more on the offensive side from defensemen, just to help backfill the lack of production from their forwards. I mean, even against LA, and I think Ian and I were talking about this last night, I think the Leafs looked pretty good. After the first period, I think they had a bad first period. I thought L.A. clearly dictated play, looked way faster, came out ready. Keith was pissed after the game about it. couple really bad rush defense sequences from Muzzin and Brody and Liljegren. Keith after the game, was basically like, other teams don't let us like skate in for free to start games. I don't know why we continue to do that. And to me, that sounds like a guy who's already sitting there going, I talk to them all of the time about starting on time, and they just don't do it. And this is the second coach that's had that lament with this group. So at some point it's on the players to, I don't know, start games on time, which is super disappointing because they just came off of, I thought the start against Boston was for all intents and purposes, their best start of the season. My favorite Leafs game I've watched in a while. Yeah, it was great. So I ideally you would have liked to see them build off that. I think the LA game was a trap game on the whole. Uh, You know, they just came off two big wins against big division rivals. You're playing a team from the Western conference you you heard about how good you were all weekend after the win. It's a trap game. Um, but really, when I was watching that game afterwards, I was sitting there going, if one of these four guys don't score, they're not scoring. Right? Like, that's the concern. And, it's, and you're not even looking saying, I could even handle if you had a guy, let's say Tavares, and he was carrying two wingers that were not Matthews or Marner. And you could sit there and say, yeah, uh, Nylander or Marner. But you're sitting there saying, like, Tavares can drive the offense on this line by himself, but he has a bunting or a cashier or whatever to cash in the chances. But you're quite literally watching them saying, if these four guys don't score, they're not scoring. Yeah, because their third line is definitely not putting the puck in the net. We've established that. And Spezza. I'll give them Spezza. Uh, And that's that's the thing. It's literally those four guys and Spezza. That's the offense up front for the Leafs. And... Kasha, I think, has been a bit snake-bitten right now. I think he's also playing on a line with David Camp. But if I could get back to the defense real quick, an interesting thing about the Leafs last season is that they took the fewest point shots among NHL teams and took the most slot shots. They did such a good job of not taking inefficient shots from the blue line instead trying to prioritize getting the puck to those high-danger areas and make passes through those seams in the offensive zone. I think that's a really smart way of trying to generate efficient offense in the modern era. Also, when we're talking about trying to measure offense from a defenseman, I don't think goals is the best way to do it because you're rewarding guys for taking shots at the net, and most defensemen are taking shots from bad locations. So any defenseman who has high shot totals and high goal totals, I tend to get a little bit worried because think it means that they're not necessarily taking the best shot available to them on the ice it's equivalent of a basketball player taking a deep two or a soccer player taking lots of shots from outside the box sure it's cool when they go in but 
on the grand scheme of things. I don't know if that's an efficient way of your team generating offense. So I care more about Riley activating down the left wall and threading that pass through the slot. I care more about Sandine being in the top 10 of both primary shot assists and slot completions percentage in the offensive zone. Sandine's incredible at that. Muzzin's one who I want to keep an eye on because he gets a few chances, reactivates down the left wall, and he looks predictable. When he wants to pass it, it's clear he wants to pass it. When he wants to shoot it, it's very clear he wants to shoot it. So I'd like to see the Leafs defensemen be a bit more unpredictable when they get into that cycle opportunity because off the rush, I expect Morgan Riley to jump up into the play and make something happen. When Sandine has a chance offensively, I expect him to make a play. But those other guys, when Justin Hall is the activating forward into the play, when TJ Brody, Justin Hall, Jake Muzzin are the activating forward into the play, are they capable of making a read at a high level and making the right play? Jake Muzzin's surprisingly the leader in points per 60 in this Leafs defense over the last couple of years. So maybe I'm not uh, giving him enough credit offensively as I should be, but that's more my concern. I don't care about the goals per se, but I care about the offense that's being generated by the defenseman. I'd like to see a little bit more. I think he'll get more. I think Sandin is just a matter of time. Like he's, he's generating the chances. You look at the forwards, like they go hand in hand. Look at the forwards production this year. Tavares is really the only one outscoring his five-on-five production from last year. Like Marner's numbers are down, Matthews are down, though I think they'll go back up. Nylanders are actually down a little bit. Spetses are way down. Like the fourth line's not scoring much. The third line's not scoring much. So once they get some more offense, the, I think the 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 deep points will come. Here's the thing that bothers me: is Spetses first in the league in slot passes per sixty. So points aren't there right now. Yeah, no, I know. Like, I think the pucks will go in at some point, but it's the players he's playing with again that drives me insane. Yeah, I think you need to. I I, I do. I really think you have to add another forward at some point because I, I just yeah yeah the, the the defense. I don't know if I want to throw this in there, but I I think Dermott's uh, on his way out. Sorry. <sighs> no, I I see it too. I do wonder if the Justin Hole scratching is crazy now. It's actually hit crazy levels. Okay, he's going to play in the next game, so we know that. By the time this is out, he'll have already played, probably, if you're listening the fa- to this. The fact, but... that, the fact that it went this far was wild. Well, Timothy Lilligren was playing excellent hockey. Was it the fact that they should have taken Travis Dermott out? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Dermott, whoever. Just You've made your... The thing is, they've kind of made their bed with hold in that they think he's good and established, and clearly he did something to piss them off. My, like, loose wild inappropriate guess is that he was a little bit out of shape because he did look slow to start the year and he is a good skater so he probably came to camp out of shape which is just going to piss any coach or management group off especially one that's sitting there going we protected you and went to bat for you and you come out and you look like shit and you obviously weren't ready to go from whatever you did in the off season i get that that would drive me insane saying the words right now is just pissing me off i am totally on board with that but you made your point get him back in the lineup He's clearly one of your top six best defensemen. He is. You can argue with me on it if you want. I am 100% confident. I think people have swung way too far on hole. I think he's a legitimate NHLer. You know what, Anthony? Uh, I'll back you up here because any all NHL GMs agree with you, and I don't want to do the 200 hockey men thing where I just appeal to authority and assume that they're always right, but he has a proven track record of driving play against top competition. He's done it with Jake Muzzin. And so has Nikita Zaitsev. So that'll be where I, I bring up my argument of how good is Justin Hall? Are we sure he's good? And that's fair. But when people were lapping him up last year for doing a good job on Connor McDavid, which he actually did for at parts and other good players during the year, like 
Like, you don't just do that because you're beside Jake Muzzin and he gives you magic superpowers. Like, you did some good things to yourself to get there. He's legitimately good at defending off the rush. He has a good reach. He's a good skater. He's mobile. He moves the good puck well. Good retrievals. He's good at activating as the fourth forward and starting breakouts. I, yep. I think it went way too far. I think it. you healthy scratched him. You made your point. You gave him the little slap on the wrist. You've made a public showing of it. I think it was wild to have the coach be like, well, we're winning and we're playing well. I'm like, you had no problem doing this in the playoffs. Travis Dermott played sick and you were like, Sandine, you're right back in. I know Jeff Fayette used to joke about this back in the day when he was stuck on the Marlies. He's saying, how many six foot three right-handed defensemen are there who can move the puck at the NHL level? Because there aren't many. And Justin Hall's one of them. He can play. And I think, like I said, I think he's one of their, I think he's one of their six best. I think they have to rework the pairings I'm any listener of this podcast will have known I've said all along I think Lilligren's an NHL player I think he can take shifts in the league I think he's starting to show that to people I'm not exactly sure what I think he's going to be that's the one pause I sit there which isn't a big deal anyone who's watched Lilligren for a long period of time knows that like this is the best version of him I've ever seen in the offensive zone confidence with the puck I know people who knew him back in the Marlies days who were just constantly frustrated with his inability to read the game quickly, some defensive miscues offensively in the offense has only looked lost a lot. But I, I think he realized he's not as good offensively as he was hyped to be, and he's kind of embraced what he is. And I have a ton of respect for that because a lot of guys don't just sit there at some point. I know we had Bourne on in the offseason at one point. We were talking about Dermot, and it, like the conversation was essentially, like, at some point you have to realize what you are in the league. And Lilligren sat there and said, I'm not going to be the, the power play one quarterback that people thought I might have been because I was this super hyped. And he seems completely fine with that. He's like, this is how I'm going to play the league. What does he do? He PKs. He moves the puck up ice. He's steady. That's the biggest thing. Bourne said, can he PK to me? Me and him were talking the other day. We were texting back and forth because he had a tweet about Justin Hall. And he was pissed because he thought Justin Hall is way better than Timothy Lilligren. And I found it interesting because... I was of the opinion that based on their play this season, Lilligren's played much better and deserves to be playing. Hall deserves to be sitting. And he would say, well, what is Lilligren? Can he PK? Can you trust him defensively? And they're giving him a few chances. And they gave him some shifts against the Bergeron line against Boston. And he handled himself. Brad Marchand was cross-checking him in front of the net. He drew a penalty. I don't know if that's going to happen in the playoffs. I've seen what refs let Brad Marchand away with in the playoffs. So that's going to be an interesting one. Where I hold up on those conversations is... I think he only played 15 minutes in that game. And it's hard to compare a guy playing 15 minutes to a guy who was playing 20. Like, that is a big difference. It actually is. I do get worried about time on ice when we evaluate players because that's what people tell me about Nikita Zaitsev. That's what people tell me about Andy McDonald. That's what. I'm not saying that he's good because his time on ice. I'm just saying it's hard to compare a guy who's playing more in a position that highlights mistakes because there's just more opportunity to make mistakes and get on the like the the shit list like it's harder to play the position more so the more you play you it the worse you're gonna look most likely getting back so- to Lilligren though can we talk about how good he's looked defensively because I think that's an aspect of his game that even though he got burned in that LA game once or twice I think for the most part he's consistently been a good rush defender and in his own zone he looks much better than someone like Travis Dermott for example and I think that's a big aspect to him earning penalty killing opportunities, to him getting a few shifts against the Bergeron line and not looking lost, to earning more trust from the coaching staff and not getting sat out of the lineup. 
And I think that's a big deal. I think it matters. And it's Travis Dermott coming out. It's not Timothy Lilligren. I think he's earned that. Uh, Kevin, let's get your thoughts on Timothy Lilligren here. You watched him a lot in the Marlies. You brought up the Frederick Gauthier line back in uh, <laughs> the day when, uh, when Sheldon Keefe had that Marlies team. You've been following the Marlies for a long time, so I always trust your Marlies analysis. What are your thoughts on Timothy Lilligren's development from age 17, 18 to what he's become today? Because it's been a roller coaster of a ride. There's been a lot of injuries early in his career. We thought he was going to be an offensive juggernaut. And he just wasn't. But I'm fascinated by the player he's become. And I'm curious what your thought is about him right now. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. I think I've seen about probably over 200 games of him now. now that yeah, I'm so that's why I want your opinion here. You have a lot of viewings of this prospect. So, he's now becoming yeah, an NHL player. On draft day, he was more of an offensive. I would say he had two-way potential because he's not small. And he always was a had decent rush defense, but obviously like the first year at the Marlies, there were positives and negatives. The positives being, you know, he didn't look out of place. He was able to defend competently, but he never really stood out all that much offensively. And I think last year uh, there was some frustration with the fan base that he wasn't up. He was a first round pick from 2017, still wasn't with the Leafs in, in 2020, 2021, but was famously just, number two overall in Bob McKenzie's midseason rankings in his draft year. But you look at the right defense last year and you go, okay, Justin Hall is playing well. TJ Brody was outstanding and Zach Bogosian was playing well. So like, what do you want him to do? Like the Leafs are, were trying to contend. They can't, they can't prioritize a little grin just because, you know, they want to get up some NHL minutes. I think if he was on a, rebuilding team he would have been in the nhl last year um this year it's i didn't know again if if he would get an opportunity like how much opportunity he would get especially with the cap situation i think the mikhaev injury might have uh given him a, a chance but yeah like he's to his credit he's really proved himself defensively like anthony i still don't know what he's going to be um he he's probably a, a PP2 guy at best, especially on a team with Sandine and, and Riley. And then, you know, when he goes up and he's facing the tough matchups, when he's getting the McDavid's like Justin Hall did, we'll have to see how he does. Like, I think he's an NHL defenseman. It's just a matter of how valuable he'll be. Uh, the stretch passes are still nice. I think with Hall, I'm with an agreement with Anthony too on Justin Hall. Uh, I think they like him. Um, I, I think the healthy scratch thing was supposed to be a game. And then they had like their two best, they were just dominating and they just said, let's keep doing it. We're keep playing the winning lineup. I don't know if I agree with that thinking either. Um, but I do think Dermot's on the way out. Um, it's just, it breaks my heart, man. Whether yeah. it's the scratches of the playoffs, whether it was, um, you know, the fact that they didn't play him on the right side for so many years. And now they have like Muzzin, Riley, Sandin is their left side for the next three years. And, you know, they'd have to play German on his offside. And then he doesn't really play their special teams unit. And then they went and tried to, like, there's that rumor they almost, they, they made an offer to Hackenpah. And I'm yeah. looking at the, I'm looking at the team right now. It's like, okay, if they got Hackenpah, who was going? And they protected Justin Hall. So I think they like Justin Hall. I don't think you go from being top four playing with Muzzin to out. I think they fully see him in the playoff lineup. Um, so right now I think it's Lilligren versus Dermott for the last playoff spot. I think Hall's going to be in the playoff lineup, whether it's at worst case, I think he's going to be the third pairing guy with Sandine, Justin Hall, worst case. 
which um, is, might be, which is honestly best case. If that's your third pairing, I'm feeling great. And that's that. what I wanted to bring up about Lilligren is I think the the ceiling for him and where I see him having a lot of success is on a pairing with Jake Muzzin, the preseason. I saw those two defending the rush incredibly well together, starting breakouts. And I thought, oh my God, this is a pairing you can play. Jake Muzzin can handle the battles in the defensive zone against the other team's best players, handle the net front. Timothy Lilligren handles a bit more of the it, puck moving. It's I a lot to ask. I think I this see is. You okay. I think this is where I think this is where we disrespect veterans. At, I think this is where we overrate of... Hall and understate how much Jake Muzzin, when he's playing at his best, elevates his partner's play. Do you think Hall was the problem in the playoffs last year? Do you think he was uh, even a I think problem? Not having Jake Muzzin made Justin Hall a much worse hockey player. But even then, like, do you think that they were the problem? I don't. I, I think know the team shooting. Was. I think their two best players shooting two percent was the problem. I know. I know what the problem was. I think Lilligren could potentially do it. It might be the future, like a couple of years yeah. from now. Can he do it this year? I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I I don't think we could make any guarantees. I got if it, if the playoffs started today and it was Buzz and Lilligren, I don't know if I'm feeling great. Yeah, Kevin. If- Kevin, I got one more Lilligren question for you, just because, like you said, two hundred plus games of watching this guy play. Oh my god, I feel sorry for you, but. Um, <laughs> offensively I've never seen him look this good in the offensive zone roaming around kind of exploring the space in the offensive zone activating into the play whether it's down the left wall or the right wall how much of that do you think is just playing with Sandine because Sandine does so much movement off the puck that helps open up space for his teammates I brought up his passing metrics so much because he's a phenomenal passer always has been I wonder if you play Lilligren with a different partner, if maybe he doesn't look as good offensively. Maybe that's just a product of playing with one of the best puck movers, not just on the Leafs, but in the NHL. Statistically, it's a fact. Sandin's an incredible puck mover, and I think maybe that's making Lilligren look a little bit better offensively than he actually is. Yeah, I'm I'm very high on Sandin's puck moving. Like I just want to see Sandin out with Matthews 24-7, Matthews and Nylander. Yep. Like, he could set guys up. His vision's incredible. He protects the puck well. I think Sandine's amazing in the offensive zone. Lilligard's good in the offensive zone. Like he's, he, it's not like he's a, a like the, the scouting report's still there. You still see why his his offensive tools were highly regarded at draft time. But um, he's not a black hole. He's not a black hole. No, like he can move the puck. He's great he stretch practice. He's got, got a skill. hard shot. It's not that accurate, but it's hard. Um, so. I think he's fine in the offensive zone. I'm not surprised he looks okay in the offensive zone. But, yeah, I think anyone playing with Sandine is is going to have some, some fun offensive zone shifts. I think Sandine I think Sandine looks great. I think Lilligren looks great. I think – yeah, I mean, we could be looking in, in almost a year and saying it might be time to start giving Sandine some power play one reps, in which case you're going to start sitting there and saying we're going to be paying a guy $7.5 million dollars to not play power play one and to not be against other teams, best players. In which case I'm just, which is going to happen. It's not going to happen. If it's not going to happen next year, it's going to happen at some point and it's just going to be stunning. I hope it's this year. So I don't, I don't care though. Like if, if Riley dominates his five on five minutes, I don't care about the power play, but yeah, I don't know if that's the problem. That's the problem. Like, (laughs) I think we're all in the same boat with Riley where it's like, yeah, which sucks. Cause I love the guy personally great great dude loves the game tries hard like everything like i i love the consummate guy. leader i mean if we took points away and, and just ability and we just assigned the captain based on leadership it would be him yeah i mean realistically it should be him like straight up but that's a different story i think one of the bigger stories that also comes out of that is i don't see how they don't have to move 
TJ Brody in order to sign Jack Campbell now. Well, that's what I was thinking. The second they signed that Riley contract, in my head, I'm thinking, well, Sandine, I always pictured taking that PP1 spot and being the more dynamic offensive defenseman. So Muzzin, Brody, Riley, all left-hand shots. Brody might as well be a right-hand shot. Brody's a right-side defenseman. But Riley, Muzzin, as you said, Kevin, those are your, for the next three years at least, you're going to be in your top four defense. So does Sandine have to move over to the right side to earn ice time at this point? Because... His passing ability is so elite, I want him to get more minutes. But if he's stuck behind Muzzin and Riley, he's not going to get those minutes. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I don't know if Sandine ends up on the right side of Riley. He's, he's really good on his backhand. It'd be a pretty offensive pairing, though. Um, or if you just run you just run the three of them. But maybe they're higher on Riley's defense than we are because they gave him $7.5 million. Like I, I think with Riley, it's kind of the Marner situation where he's He's a very good player. It's just a little bit much. Um, you know, you knock it down by a million or million and a half, it looks a lot better, um, you know, which isn't defending it or anything. But, um, yeah, Sandine might have to move to the right side. It's just I don't know if I love the fit with Riley. That's why I was a little bit confused by the Riley signing. I, Can I Muzzin move over to the right side? I'm just because he's not a puck mover. That, that aspect maybe, of his game has but... really fallen off. I, I think they'll keep Brody. I think they might move Mrazek. Again, that might be one where you have to attach a pick to it. Like, if Campbell proves he's a legit one and he's you're going to pay him, then maybe you go cheaper on the backup next year and you get out of that deal. So um, just so uh, we're clear, we're 13 games into the year and we're already trying to trade away the two most expensive contracts that Duba signed this offseason. Yes. But, okay, I mean... I, I I still understand the Mrazic deal. I still under, understand the Richie deal a little bit. Like it's, I think you get out of that. I like Mrazic. I think it's just really unfortunate. Like the injuries he's actually really good. I would have yeah, traded Kerfoot sucks. and used the Richie money on Thomas Tatar, baby. Like, Anthony hates Tatar, so he I think they need a one B and, and arguably you as well. Ian. Stop <laughs> saying Thomas Tatar, honestly. Like. You bring oh up his name God. one more time on this damn. Pl- How would I bring up Taylor Hall for fun? How's he doing? But you know, you know, I would have traded Kerfoot. I mean, I said it all off season. There's nothing that's made me think otherwise. I even take Kevin's point about yeah, if you drop him down the lineup, it starts looking a little bit nicer. But at the same time, I look and say Kerfoot's not like a true play driver or offense driver, and he's not even a guy good enough where I would sit there and say if if he's on your line three you have a sick line three they tried it it's not you know how badly they tried to make him a third line defensive checking center and it hasn't worked it's not like you're putting like Yanni Gord on line three there and being like yeah like Yanni Gord's there so it's automatically sick like that to me that's what they lose out on which is even just obviously losing Hyman is that one other guy where you're like uh, this is a legitimate play driver and they have nothing in terms of youth that's ready to do that. And it's basically 38-year-old Jason Spezza. So I I think they're gonna I think that they know that they need to get a, a forward. I think that the way that any team should basically view the regular season is there's three components. There's the first few months, which is the Babcock, it's fun but dumb. Jersey's flapping in the wind. It a bunch of young kids are in the league your little 10 game tryouts all this shit's going on and then it starts tightening up then you get into the dog days of you know december january where it's like the grind and you start seeing the young guys fall off because they haven't played that much hockey with this type of schedule 
and you all you're just basically waiting to get to the trade deadline and then you get to the deadline you say like what's our real team going to be for the rest of the year the thomas hurdle sweepstakes baby looking forward to it and i'm looking forward to Ilya mikhaev getting back in the lineup i don't really think that gets talked about enough i i always struggle with the health of players because i mean when is a team ever truly healthy I'm looking forward to Andre Kasha getting back in the lineup. But I do love Mikheyev. I honestly do. I love that guy. He. I wish no he could score. No acknowledgement of my joke that Kasha went down and probably isn't going to play. In no, the I game. honestly, I saw it. To, I saw <laughs> when the Lions came out. I just went, oh, no. I mean. I saw was, him grabbing his shoulder as he came off the ice on that shift and went, oh, there it is. Finally. Because how many awkward collisions per 60 does this guy have? Oh, man. He's been so good. His puck transporting numbers have been elite this year. They're, Top sewer, 10 in the they're league. sewering him. It, it bothers me. I, I, he could easily play with Tavares or Matthews and, and be legitimate. He's a good player. I understand what the, the concept of what they're trying. Of Oh, Camp is elite defensively. Kasha's elite in transition. We'll throw a third guy on there and it'll work. But I, Camp sucks so much offensively. It's a waste of Kasha's time. I don't mind it, honestly. Kasha's um, the only guy, to your point, Kevin, then... I'll let you go where if Kerfoot was maybe his center, you could squint and say, maybe that is good enough. Passer shooter. Yeah. It's just that Kerfoot isn't as bad offensively as David camp. I'm not going to give Kerfoot any credit as a passer or offensive player in general, but he's not David camp. So that's all I'm giving up. I think Kerfoot's kind of like that generic $3 million player. Who's kind of okay at everything. Like he's, he's not bad at anything. He's not great at anything either. I yeah, Tanner Pearson. I, I'm with you. Where if, if you could upgrade and get a more of a difference maker, I would have traded him. Um, I think in terms of paying Campbell, he still like I understand why they signed Morazic. I think they needed a one B based on Campbell's lack of track record and in industry injury history. Yeah, we were talking about it all off season. We we're talking about the guys in that three to four million dollar range. Yeah, but now if you have more information on Campbell and he's playing well and you know that's your guy, then maybe you, if depending on how Morazic does, maybe you. You, you know, downgrade a bit at 1B next year if you're going to pay Campbell. I could see that happening. I think Brody will stay, unless he has a really bad year. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe you go Camp Simmons as the checking line with, like, a Mikhaev, and you kind of bite the bullet offensively there and then go Spetsakasha combined. Fun fact, Wayne Simmons had his best numbers at 5-on-5 five five last year when he played on that engvall Mikhaev super checking line. So... Maybe yeah. that's the best way to use Simmons. Is I don't think they're gonna play Engvall at center though. Come playoff time. Okay, maybe but Camp, Camp is the Engvall in this case. I mean, so Mikheyev, Camp, Simmons—they launch pucks uh, from distance, and Simmons just goes and chases down offensive rebounds. Yeah, you just gotta monitor their minutes. That's the only thing. Like how many minutes you want them to play. But that's why I want those guys playing together, is because I think with Simmons on that line, maybe they won't play him so much. Yeah, maybe. And then I don't mind Kasha in the like. I don't know if he's pissed like. Obviously, if I signed up for a hockey league and they were like, go out and play the top guys and take defensive zone starts and never be in an offensive situation, I would be pissed. For him, I mean, he's an RFA at the end of the year. I'm, I like him. I'd keep him. Maybe like you know, it keeps his numbers down. It keeps his price in check for next year. I don't know if he's happy. Like if he's not complaining about it, I don't really care. Uh, if he is complaining about it, you know, it's you know that's up to Keith to kind of manage. Um, but at this point, I, I don't mind it, like him being the offensive driver on that line. I think they need some sort of offensive driver if they're going to be playing a decent amount of minutes. But I I, I don't mind Bunting and, and Kerfoot in the top six right now. It's a lot better than when they had Richie there. Um, but I wouldn't mind giving Kasha some sort of opportunity soon just for a morale thing. 
And again, if you look over the last couple seasons, Kerfoot's had his most success playing alongside Nylander and Tavares in that line. I know that Marner is with Tavares right now and Nylander's with Matthews, but I think when it's all said and done, I think those two are going to swap at some point. We'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But I find it interesting that the Marner play driving numbers haven't been that good this year and historically haven't been that great. I do wonder if... William Nylander comes back down to drive more of the play alongside Tavares, transport puck into the offensive zone. The fact that I have to say this about a guy who's making $11 million is it, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to evaluate the players here, so let's take the money out of it. I think the way that, I think the way that we see, I think to sum up the way that we see things, just to kind of sum up the pod and put a little cherry on the top, is the forward depth needs at least another guy. They need to probably bump camp down to the fourth line and be an actual fourth line center because that's what he is so stop this dog and pony show of like maybe there's hidden offense there there isn't we know that and did that's the Leafs fine rebuild david camp no they did not and they will not they need at least a guy to push down they need three lines of offense they need three legitimate lines of offense if you want to go far in the playoffs you might win a round eventually because the big boys all go on a heater and it's just hard to imagine, like, four guys just basically lighting it up at all times for, like, 20 to 25 straight playoff games. Right? Yeah, they needed that. They needed another guy. Yeah. 100%. And on the defensive side, we're actually pretty happy with the young guys. Some of the vets need to get their life together right now and how they're playing. But really, it's just about them sorting out the pieces. Like, I think the pieces are there. I think the pieces are there for a successful defense. I'm happy totally with the group. Agree. Right? I was happy they didn't you made a good point about um signing like a depth defenseman. After they couldn't sign Bogosian, I basically in my mind I was like, just don't sign anybody. I was kind of glad because it forced Lilligren to get a good look here, and I think he can play. I love Bogosian, so I would have been happy to have him back. They wanted Bogosian. He, he didn't choose to resign here. Yeah, but after – and you know what? If you have a good thing going, I think it's insane to just sit there and be and say, let's mess with it for a mystery box. So that part I would have got. But beyond Bogosian, just whatever. Just leave it, and let's see what the young guys are like. That's the first half of the season, right? Young guys, it's dumb but fun, right? Then we'll get to the grind, and we'll see how they grind. And if they're – if they're lacking, then they're, we're going to have to sit here and be like, what defenseman do they acquire? Oh, man. I God, if it gets to that point, it's just going to be sad. Come on. Forward is going to have to be the position to need at the deadline. But I wouldn't trade any defenseman. I feel like that's a very quick thing. Hall? I wouldn't, wouldn't Not right now. Him? I think it's insane to trade. They're, they have seven NHL defensemen. You always need them. I wouldn't trade any of them right now. They also have zero NHL defensemen on the Marlies. Hold on. I got a stat. I got a stat. Let me get. Let me find Can it. Pull here. up Brendan Manel's Corsi. Okay, since Austin Matthews' debut, Alex Biega, how many AHL games has he played before AHL this year? AHL or NHL? AHL before this year. So from the time Matthews started to the it's end of last trivia. season, I'm gonna say a hundred. Five. He's played five <laughs> AHL games. He's been in the NHL the whole time. So I think. I think. They tried to trade Dermot a week ago, or like that. That to, rumor. to confirm, are you calling Alex Biega an NHL defenseman? I I want to get that on. Record I was trying right to call him an AHL defense. He's calling him a non-defenseman. He hasn't played. He's been a seventh. Play. He's been a seventh defenseman in the NHL. Like that's what he is. I don't know if he's a good one, but I think 
I think he would have been the number seven if they yeah. traded Dermot. And I do think they tried to trade Dermot. Like reading between the the lines there with those rumors, I think I think they're and the the fact the hack and paw thing. I don't I don't think they want Dermot on the right side come playoff time, but we'll see. I I don't mind. It's a fine having seven NHL defensemen right now is not a problem um whatsoever so if they if they keep the defenseman as is i'm completely fine with it i just i'm curious to know what that Dermot trade was let's see what muzzin hall looks like over the next couple weeks i think that's gonna really impact what i think because if hall continues to not look good here i'm gonna want to see what Dermot or lilligren looks like in that spot i'm I'm gonna want a a bigger sample because yeah anthony's assuming it's gonna work out i hope you're right anthony i really hope you're right I'm glad they went back to the old pairings. Actually, I I, I want to see Muzzin Hall. Let's see what they if they can rebound here because I think Riley needs the babysitter. Yeah, Riley Dermott was a disaster, so that that needs to stop. They need to try go back to Riley Brody or something else. Riley Dermott was not working. Yeah, it's almost like playing against good players matters, eh, Ian? And Dermott oh, all of man. a sudden gonna, fell gonna off the cliff. Gonna say that to a nerd? Gonna bring up the old quality of competition yeah. aspect here. It was here. weird. No, it was I, like I, Dermott started playing against better players, and then it went off the shitter. Like, I can't believe that happened. You know what? Instead of getting into an hour-long <laughs> discussion about the merits of quality competition versus quality of line mates and how this all impacts the, the grand scheme of hockey, we'll let Kevin plug his stuff right now. Kevin, where can people check you out? Maple Leafs hot stuff. I mean, they got some good writers there. Anthony, I'm not sure if there's anyone else. I know Anthony's there. <laughs> we'll have to. Uh, I appreciate that you uh, think I'm a good writer. <laughs> I think oh, is Ian there? Okay, Ian. <laughs> I, just, I, just with um, I thought it was more to. I thought where Kevin was originally going with that is like Anthony's there and like great job, Anthony. We know Ian <laughs> exists as a human, but that's about all we're saying. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, <laughs> one star yeah. for Kevin on this podcast review. Uh-oh. I did the report cards the one time, and it was – I got an appreciation for it. You're watching every player. So Ian's got his work work cut out, so you have to check out those report cards because I know a lot of work goes into them. I know Harmon Dial tried to do it at Vancouver one night. He immediately texted me and went, why the swear word would you do this? Like, this is impossible, and there's no gain, and it's just – it's. and I'm like, yep, no, yep, yep. I I know is what it is, but Kevin, it was great having you on here. What's your Twitter handle, by the way? I think it's at Capetti. So my my last name's P A P E T T I, and then just a K in front of it. Beautiful. All right, we'll have to have you on at some point in the future. You're a 200 plus game Lilligren scout, so obviously gonna have you back on here in the future. Go Leafs, go! We'll see what this defense looks like over the next couple weeks, uh, and we'll, me and Anthony will be back next week. Looking forward to it. Have a good week, everybody. Everyone is looking at me. Time is running and we're down by.